This episode of the Get in the Game podcast is presented by Sports Spectrum and the Sports Spectrum Podcast Network. We invite you to check out our website, sportspectrum.com, for more content on the intersection of sports and faith. Articles, devotionals, podcast episodes, all of it can be found right there at one place, sportspectrum.com. And while there, you can subscribe to our weekly newsletter, as well as subscribe to our magazine. You can lock in a one-year subscription for just $18 or two years for just $30. We've got a great conversation ahead for you. So thanks for tuning in this week to the Get in the Game podcast with Scott Leinbrink. Welcome to Get in the Game Podcast with your host, Scott Lyman, former MLB star and current water mission advocate. Oh yeah, and he also happens to be our dad, so let's dive right in. Hey everybody, I'm your host, Scott Linebrink, back for another episode of Get in the Game Podcast, where we talk about what it means to serve and putting our faith into action. This week's guest is Terry Evans. Terry, how you doing? Well, good, man. Glad to be doing this with you. Yeah, me too. Uh, Terry, I'm going to introduce uh, Terry to everyone. He is a, a former uh, baseball player. Terry played for uh, a long time um, in the minor leagues and the big leagues, um, and uh, mostly with the Anaheim Angels, I believe, but um, four or five different organizations, um, but has retired, been retired now for about 10 years, and I had joined a, a ministry that I was actually very involved with when I was playing baseball called Unlimited Potential Incorporated. So Terry serves on their staff, which seeks to disciple baseball players, and he also serves as the team chaplain for the Atlanta Braves. So I guess I should, I should start by saying congratulations on the World Series win last year. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how much I played into that, but uh, I'm super happy for those guys. Uh, it was a good group of guys, and it was really cool to watch them get to experience that moment. Yeah. Well, I, you know, speaking as from someone that that benefited from that relationship with Team Chaplain and how much that means to guys, you know, nurturing their faith and being able to pray with them. And of course, over the course of a baseball season, as you and I both know, as players, we can go through a lot of ups and downs and having that, that stabilizing force of a chaplain, you know, really helps to, to keep us grounded in our faith. So I'm sure you've had a lot of opportunities to do that. Yeah, man, I, I think so. I mean, I've just like you uh, benefited a ton from having baseball chapel there available all season. And so just try now being on this side of it, just try to keep that perspective, just try to be available, open to the guys, helpful when I can. Yeah. Just really be there to serve, you know? Mm. So let's talk about, let's start there because that's obviously the theme of this podcast is serving. Why don't you just uh, take a couple of minutes to just give us your ideas on what it means to serve and how, from a faith perspective, you do that. All right. Yeah. Um, as far as serving, I think serving sometimes can be a difficult thing to try to define. Um, it's an easier thing to maybe demonstrate uh, at times, but uh, usually if I think of serving, I think of what Paul says in Philippians two, where he says, um, consider, you know, have the same mindset as Jesus and consider the interest of others over your own interests. 
And so I think when it comes to serving, that's one thing that I think about is considering the interest of the people around me um, over just only worried about my own interest, uh, being willing to sacrifice, um, not clinging uh, to any sort of uh, status that I may feel like I have or any sense of entitlement or anything like that. Just, to, just a willingness to put myself in a position where I'm looking to do good and bless others. And you know, the, the one picture that always comes to mind is Jesus um, and that last meal with his disciples, him being the one who gets up from the table and goes and washes their feet. I mean, I think mm -hmm. if we need a model for service, I think that's a good one. Yeah, absolutely. Jesus gives us a lot of great examples in the Bible about that. Um, talk a little bit about, because I know you're a family man. Um, you've got four kids and a wife and, uh, you know, you serve them a lot. Of course, a lot of what you talk about demonstrating and serving uh, comes back to the house. And as leaders of the house, as spiritual leaders, you know, sometimes um, we can take that role of king as being, um, you know, misuse that and, and, and look at ourselves as maybe the authoritarian ruler of the house, when in fact, you know, servant leadership looks much different. So maybe talk about the difference between those two. Yeah, absolutely. And one thing uh, that I'll always try to remind myself is because sometimes, like you just said, kind of that authoritarian, like king type mentality sometimes, you know, I think for a while there, that was kind of fed to us culturally, like any, you know, maybe uh, not so much now, but growing up, maybe some of the popular TV shows you watch or some of the funnier shows, you know, the man is, you know, comes home, he sits on the couch, he watches TV, and he, that's just kind of his thing. And it's funny, and we laugh and whatever. But um, I think that in, in some way has has influenced men for a long time. And um, when I look at Jesus, uh, it's a completely different uh, definition of what a man is, and what it means to be a man and what it means to be a leader. Uh, Jesus himself said, you know, if you really want to be great um, in the kingdom of God, then you need to consider yourself a servant of everybody around you. Like that's that's Jesus's definition of success or greatness is to put yourself in the position of serving everybody around you. So I in no way uh, do that perfectly at home. Uh, you know, we're probably challenged more at home with doing that than we are anywhere else. Agreed. <laughs> but um, try my best to remember that as long as I'm awake and all the other members of this house, whether it's Tanner, my wife or the kids, if they're awake, then I am a servant. I can um, do the things that I want to do um, maybe after the kids have gone to bed or maybe just by getting up really early in the morning before everybody's up. But when everybody is awake, um, I'm to take on the role of a servant. And so I try my best to stay in that mindset, even though it's not easy. Well, and to give folks a peek behind the curtain a little bit, uh, Terry's kids are on spring break right now. And before <laughs> we started this call, he said, hey, I've got the kids in the other room playing a video game. And I've told them to be quiet, but I'm really hoping that nobody barges in on the middle of this interview. But um, I think that's a great picture right there of, you know, you're on vacation with your kids and yet you're pulling time out of out of that day to to sit and and talk to us about serving. So I really appreciate you serving in that regard. Yeah, man. And that's part of trying to, you know, 
lead and disciple your kids too is 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 that fine line of um, I'm going to serve them and try to bless them uh, as much as I can, but also kind of want to teach them that the world doesn't revolve around them either, uh, that we are all as a family committed to serving other people. And so that's a thing. That's a fine line. We all try to walk, uh, but yeah. yeah. Well, in, in, in today's world and today's society, I just think how more and more, you know, that's not the focus. The focus is the individual and, you know, getting what's mine and making sure that we take care of ourselves first and, you know, even our families first. I mean, sometimes we can use that as an excuse of saying, no, my family comes first and, and not that, you know, we shouldn't prioritize family, but there are some instances where, where maybe we do need to do something and, and let our family know, you know, no, we need to be serving in this regard. We need to give up our time and maybe that's collectively to go on a mission trip or go do something in the community to help others so that we remind ourselves that, that constantly looking for ways to serve others is something that not just I do as leader of the family, but that we all do. And, and to your point, you know, setting that example and, and demonstrating that is so key. But, um, but yeah, yeah, I'm sorry. Um, let me let you react to that. No, I was just going to agree with you. I, I think anytime we, any chance we get to bring our kids alongside of us, um, definitely our wife, but our kids too, to bring them alongside of us where we're all serving together. I mean, that's to me, the ultimate is when we're able to do that. We can't always do that, but anytime we get a chance to do that, we should go for it. Yeah. And I just think about how, you know, the, the idea of serving and putting yourself second or third or fifth or 10th does not come naturally. And to truly do that, it takes a, a supernatural inputting of the Holy Spirit. It takes, you know, wanting to, to live like Jesus, because if, if I'm honest, I look at what I want to do when I wake up every day and immediately I go to my flesh and my selfishness. And I say, boy, it'd be fun to go out and play golf today or go do this. But you know, I need to be focused on a task at hand that's been put in front of me and, and push that other side that I want to do to the back corner. Yeah. One, one question to try to, one question I try to always ask myself, I didn't come up with this question. Uh, I think the first time I heard it was from uh, Dallas Willard, but uh, you know, we're familiar with that, uh, like the bracelet, what would Jesus do? Mm-hmm. Uh, which, which I think is a great question. I think it's a great self-reflection question, but uh, Dallas Willard took it to a whole new level because sometimes when we try to picture what would Jesus do, it's almost like we try to put ourselves in the shoes of a first century Jewish rabbi. And that doesn't always work well. Hmm. <laughs> it's, it's hard to relate that way. So Dallas Willard always put it like this. Um, what would Jesus do if he were me? Hmm. And so I, now I got to start thinking like, if Jesus was the leader of my home and was married to my wife and was the father of my kids and he had my daily schedule, like how would he go about it? What would he do? What would it look like? And then the more I reflect on that, you know, I just try my best to go and do likewise. You know? mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a great way to look at that. And of yeah. course, being in the word and, and understanding, you know, what Jesus tells us in his word is, is a way that we can, you know, know, hey, this is what he would have done in that circumstance because we've got the benefit of looking directly at his life. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, let's do this. Um, you and I were actually together over the weekend. You came down here to Texas and helped lead a men's retreat that I've been hosting now for about five years. And we had 15 or so guys in a room and we had a chance to, from Friday evening to Sunday morning, really focus on intentionally getting into God's word and understanding what it looks like to 
to be the leader of a family. And, and that's been my whole uh, desire in this is to, to give guys a, an opportunity to, to really be taught um, by some different voices. And so we've done that. And, and you were gracious enough to come in and teach. And one of the things that you taught on was the parable of the Good Samaritan. And so uh, I've asked you to, to come on this podcast, you know, to give your own personal thoughts, but also to walk through for our audience some of that same teaching that you gave us guys this weekend, because I think that this story is, is paramount to the idea of serving. And it, it gives us a great illustration from Jesus directly and uh, of what it looks like to serve. And I'd, I'd just like to walk through that with you. So um, let me start by, I'm just going to read this parable. And for a little bit of context, you know, this is in response to a question that Jesus got from someone who, who asked basically, what does it take to, to be saved, to get eternal life? And so he then gives us the great, what is often referred to as the great commandment. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. And then also love your neighbor as yourself. And so then he goes on to say, well, who is my neighbor? And, um, and I'm going to let you unpack that a little bit. But, um, but let me just let me read the story um, that he gives in response to that. It says, Jesus replied with an illustration, and I'm reading from Luke chapter 10 here. He says, a Jewish man was traveling on a trip from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes and money, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a Jewish priest came along, but when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed him by on the other side. Then a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt deep pity. Kneeling beside him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with medicine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey, and he took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two pieces of silver and told him to take care of the man. If his bill runs higher than that, he said, I'll pay the difference the next time I'm here. Now, which of these, Jesus asks, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? The man replied, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. So that's a great story. And I know probably many have heard that. Um, but as you walked us through some elements of that story, you made it clear to me that there were things that I did not understand about this. So um, maybe just for starters, can you tell us about how Jesus kind of took a familiar um, template that, that was often used and, and twisted that a little bit for the sake of this story? Yeah, uh, absolutely. And I think <clears throat> once, uh, once we understand or, or are able to get a better understanding kind of the context of what's going on in some of these stories, it just, it, it brings so much more to light. Um, it's, I mean, to me, it's the difference between, you know, watching a movie in black and white versus 3D. Uh, understanding the context is is so great. Um, and so, I mean, one thing, this this particular parable and the way he ends it uh, would have been, it just would have been a bombshell statement uh, by Jesus and a kind of mic drop moment. Um, again, the this is in response to a scribe's question. And a scribe would have been like a Bible scholar, you know, like a professor in a seminary, basically. And um, 
what Jesus does here in this parable is so brilliant. Um, Jesus was, you know, we often think of Jesus as, you know, the son of God, the savior of the world, and, and all that is 100% true and right. But then sometimes we forget, like, he was also a brilliant teacher. Like, he was smart, <laughs> very, very smart. And so um, one thing that he's doing here is it's helpful to understand that he was not the first Jewish rabbi to use parables as a way of teaching. That was actually uh, a very traditional method of teaching. It was widely used, especially in first century Jewish culture. And because they were so widely used, like you just said, there were there were common templates that were used for telling parables. I mean, in a predominantly oral culture where lots of people couldn't read, uh, this was a very helpful way to keep things easier to understand and easier to remember. And so one of those templates that was really popular was rabbis would tell a parable that contained three characters, uh, a priest, a Levite, and a Pharisee. And these would be the three main characters. So no matter what the lesson is or what the content of the parable was, it would always have these three characters. And uh, the template was always the same. Whatever the parable was, the priest in the parable would always do things wrong because everybody knew during that time the priest in Jerusalem were corrupt. And so the priest would always get it wrong. And then the Levite would come along and he would also do things wrong, but just kind of for a different reason, because back in that time, they were kind of viewed, the Levites were viewed as uh, being corrupt, but just really, you know, corrupt by their association with the priests. Um, but then the Pharisee would come along in the parable and he would be the one who would always do things correctly. And that was the template. That was just how it traditionally went. Kind of sounds like um, the uh, the modern day jokes where, you know, somebody says a priest, a Levite and a Pharisee walk into a bar. Dude, that's a, that, I mean, we laugh about that, but that's, I mean, I think that's exactly what's going on. Like that's, they're familiar, just the same way that we're familiar with that template for a joke. They're familiar with this template for a parable. It it's really is kind of the same thing going on. And so what Jesus does here in this parable of the good Samaritan is he follows that template. And so, you know, this scribe who, again, he would know this, he's, he's following, like he's tracking with this, 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 he gets this. Um, but then Jesus gives it that shocking twist at the end, you know, because like in his parable, sure enough, the priest comes along, gets it wrong, just as we would expect. Uh, the Levite comes along, gets it wrong again, just as we would expect. But then the moment in the story when you would expect a Pharisee to come onto the scene and get it right, Jesus says a Samaritan comes along and he's the one who gets it right. And again, you probably could have heard a pin drop in that moment because, again, just a little bit more context. I mean, the Samaritan people were despised by most Jewish people. Um, and there's all sorts of cultural reasons for that. Um, but this would have been a shocking move on Jesus's part. And then um, as if that wasn't challenging enough, another brilliant thing he does is he intentionally flips the question around. Um, when you read the story, Jesus is asked by the scribe, all right, who is my neighbor? And if you're just listening to that parable, you know, who is my neighbor? Who, who's the one I'm supposed to love? You would immediately assume from the parable that it's the man um, laying in the ditch, you know, who's been abused, dying mm -hmm. by the road. That's the guy. But what Jesus does is he phrases the question at the end of the parable in a way that he rules that guy out. 
because Jesus asked, you know, the scribe comes and says, who's my neighbor? And Jesus at the end of the parable says, hey, which of these three was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hand of robbers? And so <laughs> the way he phrases that question, he intentionally rules out the crime victim as the neighbor and makes the Samaritan the only possible answer. Hmm. And that is, again, just a brilliant move on Jesus's part. So and, Terry, real quick, why, can you tell us maybe if you can explain for our audience, if you were to compare someone in today's society to a Samaritan, like what, what would that have looked like so that we have maybe a little context for that? Yeah. Um, like that's a dangerous thing to answer. That uh, is. Yeah. What else? <laughs> no, but I think, well, I think one way we can get, we can understand this is you got to think at least as far as like polar opposites. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, you're talking about, let's, let's talk about our political climate. I mean, you're talking about someone um, on one side of the aisle, mm -hmm. the way they would use somebody on the far other end of the aisle. Like gotcha. that's how despised, I mean, mm -hmm. way, way apart. I mean, here, I'll give you this. Uh, I mentioned this this weekend and I can just mention it real quick, but during this time, there was, um, there were two, um, two schools of thought, two popular schools of thought, like two rabbis who were known to be like, these are the guys we listen to. And uh, they had actually answered this question too, when it came to like, all right, when we're, when the Bible says, love your neighbor, who's it talking about? Mm -hmm. And uh, it was two rabbis. One was uh, Shammai and the other was Hillel. Uh, that was their names. And this is how they answered it. Um, Shammai said, love your neighbor means um, love your fellow Jew, uh, your Jewish neighbor, but, but you don't have to love the Romans. Um, and you definitely don't have to love the Samaritans. Hmm. And then the uh, teaching of Hillel was a little bit more inclusive, but still, according to his interpretation, um, yeah, your fellow Jew is your neighbor. And so are the oppressive Romans, uh, but still definitely not the Samaritans. Mm. So, I mean, that's what we're talking about. I mean, the two main trains of thought, even the one that's really inclusive and calls you to love the Romans, like the people that are oppressing you severely, calls you to love them, but still you don't have to love the Samaritans. So, I mean, maybe that gives you, you know, gives us an idea of how much uh, they despised uh, the Samaritans. Yeah. And, and then to your point, you said the way Jesus framed that question, who showed mercy, you know, eliminating us from, from looking at the one who was oppressed, the victim as being the one that we sympathize toward. But, but now we have to answer the question differently. And it has to, I mean, based on just the deed, it has to be the one that you're talking about that was despised by the Pharisee. And even so much so, I remember you said that he can't even say it was the Samaritan. He says the one who showed mercy. Exactly. When you read that parable, you notice that he can't even answer the question. He can't bring himself to say the Samaritan was the one who was the neighbor. He says the one who showed mercy. Like he can't even say it. And so basically the big idea here is Jesus is declaring that the one person in this parable that you would have viewed as your enemy falls into the category of your neighbor, someone you're supposed to love. And that is right in line with other things that he taught, and especially what he taught and arguably what is his most popular and famous teaching in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5. Uh, I can just read that because I have that mm -hmm. one in front of me. Yeah, please. Um, 
Jesus says, hey, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. By the way, that's not the hate your enemy part was not in scripture. That was added by some of the Jewish rabbis. Mm. Um, and Jesus said, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Why? So that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. So you may, so you may be like your father in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good, and he sends rain on the just and on the unjust. Basically, he's saying, listen, God gives good crops to everybody, not just his people. He gives good crops to everybody. Like there's no partiality there. And so Jesus goes on to say, for if you love those who love you, like what reward should you get for that? Everybody does that. Mm. He says, do not even the tax collectors do that? And he says, if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than anybody else? Why should you be rewarded for that? Don't even the Gentiles do that? He says, therefore, you have a higher standard. You have to be merciful just as your heavenly father is merciful. And so, I mean, that's a popular teaching. But again, according to Jesus, love your neighbor means, yes, love your fellow Jew or your fellow um, person who's just like you, uh, that it's easy to get along with. And yeah, I love the Romans, uh, those who may, you may feel like ruling over you or oppressing you. And yes, even the Samaritans. So love your neighbor means love your kinsmen, love your enemy and love everybody in between. Um, because why? why? Because our father in heaven loves the whole world and desires that nobody should perish, but that all would experience his blessing. And therefore, so should we. Yeah. And I think so many of us can relate to the idea that maybe we feel that some people are outside of, of God's love or we, we don't have to love that person. That, that person wronged me or that person is a, a dreg of society or, you know, they're just an, an evil, wicked person. I mean, to, to put it in today's terms, I mean, somebody like the leader of Russia that is um, invading another country. Like, do we, do we truly believe that he is, is worthy of God's love? And the, and the point is no, but no one is worthy of God's love. And that's, what's so amazing about it is that, you know, God loves me and I am not worthy of God's love no more than anybody else on this earth. And that's truly where we get the idea of grace. Yeah, we have to, I think we also have to make sure we, you know, define love the way Jesus defines it and not kind of the way our culture and modern society tries to define it. Again, like love, according to Jesus, is not necessarily focused on like feelings, like how we feel about someone. It's rather, it's more an act of the will, um, our willingness to serve and sacrifice for someone uh, with no strings attached. And um, it is, I mean, it's, it seems simple, but it's 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 a challenging um, instruction that Jesus gives us, but one that he modeled himself perfectly. So, Terry, let me ask you this. How do we love as Jesus loved without compromising on truth or compromising on what we uh, stand for in terms of beliefs? You know, I, I think of um, like there's a lot of issues in today's world that that don't line up with my value system and I don't condone them. Um, but you know, I'm called to love that person despite what they, whatever choice that they have made. And so 
how do I make that distinction and not compromise on truth? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Again, another way that I feel like our culture has somewhat defined love over the last uh, decade or so is somewhere along the line of tolerance, like, mm-hmm. um, which is really, when you think about it, a very low bar when it comes to love. Like, what if I just said, hey, I tolerate you? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's a very low bar. Uh, I often think of John 1, um, where John describes Jesus as someone who came uh, in grace and truth, both. And I think that is the tension that you're describing there. Mm-hmm. Um, how can I be someone who is extending love to everybody around me without compromising uh, the truth of, of who God is and, and who we are and what he's called us to and, and what he wants uh, from this world? And um, I do think the best way that we can figure that out is by following um, Jesus's way, like his life, his teaching, trying to do it the way he did it as best we can. Uh, but I think sometimes one of the most loving things that you can do for someone is to um, tell them the truth, even if it's the hard truth. Um, it's fine to disagree with people. It's fine to um, call people uh, to repent. Um, that. I think sometimes is, even though, again, our society would probably push back on that. um, I think if I truly believe that God is who he says he is and that he has promised the things that he has promised us and that we have this incredible hope of resurrection and eternal life and a new creation, um, how unloving would it be of me Mm -hmm. to not try to get people to buy in and understand what I understand? and come to believe what I've come to believe, you know, love would be doing everything I can to help people see what God has graciously helped me see. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's really a great perspective. Um, Wow. There's there's a lot in there and um, you know, really understanding how we are supposed to love people. um, That's a, a lifelong pursuit. And it's something that, you know, we, we don't need to uh, compromise on, on what we believe, but, but in fact, we grow even closer to what, what God calls us to believe and, and how to act. Um, I often think that, you know, God loves us the way we are, but he also has a vision for us. And, you know, Philippians, you referenced earlier, but Philippians 1 talks about, you know, God um, will, will see us to see it to completion, see it on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so, He's got this version that he's continuing to chisel away and move me towards, and I've got a full potential in Christ. And, you know, what, what if I looked at everyone else like that, too, that, that wherever they're at, that's not where God sees them as being their full potential, but he's got a plan for them to move them to that. And instead of me looking for where they're at, but where they could be and loving them for that reason, I think that would maybe change at least our perspective. because. I know how far I've come because of God's love and where I would be without it. And so I know that, that that move is possible. And I know that move is possible in other people's lives as well. A hundred percent, man. That's exactly what I was thinking. I mean, I, one thing that helps me is to remind myself of how patient God has been with me. I mean, there was a, 
a, a long season of my life where I'm claiming uh, to be one of his people, claiming to be a follower of Jesus. And, and to be honest, I, you know, I look at that season of my life and I'm misrepresenting him um, pretty badly, you know, mm-hmm. and, um, and yet he didn't give up on me. Mm-hmm. You know, he, sh- he showed incredible patience, incredible grace, and even came and rescued me from this trajectory that I was on. And um, he didn't have to do that. You know, he didn't have to do that. And yet he did. And so when I try to remember, you know, God's love for me and his patience towards me and how he has gently, very gently, like a loving father guided me out of some of my own foolishness and ignorance and and just gently brought me along uh, to where he has me today. Um, I remember that, all right, I need to be patient uh, with people, be kind, and try to gently lead people in truth, not just, you know, feel like I've got to throw Bible darts to people all the time or something like that, you know? Yeah. Well, Terry, uh, this has been so helpful. I, I appreciate you walking through all of this. It was so helpful for me this weekend, and I know, I know for all those guys, and now hopefully for all listening here, um, what, what do you hope that people take from this message and, and how do you hope it actually starts to, to live in their, their habits and their practices and, and where it moves them to in the way of serving? Yeah, I think um, one thing that comes to mind is just sometimes, I, you know, there's no way for me to know where everybody, who, you know, where everybody's at uh, in their relationship with God who's listening to this. And so I think sometimes knowing that a lot of us grow up with this view of God, like he's um, angry or that he's, you know, looking down on us with his arms crossed, shaking his head, like, what's wrong with you guys? Uh, if, if we could just remember that uh, God, um, as described by himself in Exodus, uh, when he's talking to Moses, God is a God who is gracious and he's merciful. He's actually very slow to get angry. Um, he is full of love and kindness and forgiveness. Um, that doesn't mean he doesn't hold us accountable and there, there is injustice. There absolutely is. He's very clear on that. Uh, but he's patient and he loves us. And it is his desire, uh, that all people would come to know him, uh, for who he really is and not sometimes, uh, what people think he's like, and that we would, you know, maybe grow, um, in our desire to uh, learn from Jesus and just as we read through the gospels to just kind of pay attention uh, to how he was living his life, how he interacted with people, uh, what he was teaching and, and come to see that, man, he, he knew what he was talking about. Like, as I watched the way he lived his life, that just looks like, yeah, that's right. That's what a human being should look like. Um, and so I'm going to try to go and live my life as best I can, um, based on his life and teaching. And so if, you know, if, if it, if it encourages anybody, um, to look at Jesus and his teaching with fresh eyes, then I feel like that's a huge win. And then last thing I'll say is, you know, where do we start when it comes to loving our neighbor or serving others? I I do think we start at home, like the way we started this podcast, I, I think it starts at home. And so how are we loving our spouse? Uh, how are we loving our children? Um, if we are children, how are we loving our parents? Um, and what ways um, are we putting the interest of the people around us above our own interests? Mm-hmm. 
and willingly making sacrifices to simply make their life um, uh, better, you know? So. Wouldn't wouldn't this world look a lot different if people put the needs of others ahead of their own? Oh man, it would look so different, wouldn't it? <laughs> mm. Well, it's um, it's certainly something to to hope for. Um, I, I know you and I both believe that this you know can't happen this out of heaven, um, but you know there there is the promise that that one day there will be a new heaven and a new earth, and when Jesus comes back and restores this world that was the intentional design and that's what it, it ultimately will be again someday. And so we can have that hope for all of us. Amen. Well, Terry, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate your teaching. Um, love what you're doing in pouring into the lives of young men and baseball players and, um, and older guys like me too, who are still uh, <laughs> able to learn from you. So thanks so you're much. Not for your much time. You're not that much older. You're not that much older. <laughs> That's right. Well, have, have a great spring break with your kids. I appreciate it, man. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Get in the Game podcast with Scott Weinbrink, part of the Sports Spectrum Podcast Network. You can connect with Scott and follow him on Twitter at Scott Weinbrink. We want to invite you to subscribe to the other shows on our network. We'd also love for you to check out our Sports Spectrum magazine, of great stories and content covering the intersection of sports and faith. You can subscribe at sportsspectrum.com. It's $18 for an entire year subscription. Again, the website to subscribe is sportsspectrum.com. Thanks so much for listening.